Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM. My name is Andy. I will be with you for the next hour. And this week on the Paradigm Shift, we're going to be taking a little bit of a journey through musical history, exploring protest artists who took on the idea of the medium as the message and tried to communicate political ideas, not just by political content, but by political media of how we communicate. Of course, Marshall McLuhan uh, in 1964 was the person who coined the term the medium is the message. Um, And so maybe uh, before we get into the history of the medium as the message in protest music, maybe we'll hear a little bit from a bizarre but interesting footnote in Marshall McLuhan's career from his 1968 LP, The Medium is the Massage. Nowadays, a fact is what has been translated into words of images. Those qualities, these forms to combine facts, abstract upon opinion, public place is wit. Drop this jiggery-pokery and talk straight turkey. The word is out. I'm not too old for this city, but this is just a phase. The medium is the massage. The medium is the massage. Marshmallow and marshmallow. Yeah, about that. There'll probably be some music, but we'll manage to find a quiet corner where we can Uh, Professor McClure. Our time is a time for crossing barriers, for erasing old categories, for probing around. When two seemingly disparate elements are imaginatively posed, put in opposition in new and unique ways, startling discoveries often result. One, two, one, two, three, four. medium of our time, electric circuitry, circuitry. profoundly involves men with one another. Information pours instantaneously and continuously. As soon as information is acquired, it's very rapidly placed by still newer information. 
replaced by skills. Our electrically configured world has forced us to move from the habit of data classification along the mode of pattern serial. recognition block by block. We can no longer build serial block by block because instant communication ensures that all factors of the environment and of experience coexist in a state of active interest. There ain't no grammatical errors in a non-literate society. That is Marshall McLuhan with the medium is the massage. Um, maybe you can decipher some meaning from that. Um, not so easy, but it does come. Marshall McLuhan in 1964 wrote the book Understanding Media, trying to uh, understand how changing technology was shaping society. And in that book, he coined the phrase, the medium is the message. And over the years, many political musicians have taken this idea to heart and thought in different ways that it's not simply what you are singing about that makes your music political. The medium by which you communicate carries as much weight in representing the kind of world we want to create. Folk music is still the musical genre most associated with protest songs and for more reasons than just the lyrics. Folk protest legend Pete Seeger believed that folk songs only truly reach their purpose when sung en masse, joining individuals into a collective force and turning spectators into participants. Seeger took this into account when writing his songs. After hearing a black church congregation singing a hymn called We Will Overcome, Seeger gave it a slight rewrite to make it easier for anyone to sing. He said... We shall opens the mouth wider. The eye in will is not an easy vowel to sing. The result is probably, is probably the most famous protest song of all. Seeger says about the song, it's the genius of simplicity. Any damn fool can get complicated. Here's a song you can help me on. <laughs>
And the most important verse was the one they made up in Montgomery, Alabama. Said, we are not afraid. There's a lot of people in this world, they know what's right and what's wrong. But they're not going to do anything about it. Somebody has to be willing to sing, we are not afraid. We are not That is Pete Seeger with We Shall Overcome. Seeger's commitment to the medium of acoustic sing-along folk played out famously when Bob Dylan went electric at Newport Folk Festival. The crowd famously booed, and Seeger apparently threatened to cut the power cable with an axe. Rock and roll in its early stages certainly shook the establishment, though it mostly wasn't consciously political. Of course, its medium has something to do with this. The rise of rock and roll is inextricably tied to the rise of new media technologies, television and the 45 RPM record. It was a uniquely commodified and simulated art form. In the mid-60s, though, rock and roll became a voice of the anti-Vietnam War movement and the youth counterculture. Some bands addressed social issues in their lyrics, but just as often it was the loud, raucous music and the fashion of the rock bands that brought to the surface feelings of a world in tumult and an unbridgeable generation gap. Still, the 60s rock revolution was one easily co-opted by enterprising businessmen hoping to sell images of rebellion to a lucrative youth market. Peter Doggett, whose book There's a Riot Going On is the most exhaustive history of the late 60s rock counterculture, notes with resignation, the lesson of revolutionary rock is that the music and its idealistic ideology was compromised and sold in the very instant that it was made. In response to this, though, many musicians and activists tried to decommodify the music. The two biggest festivals on either side of the Atlantic, Woodstock and Isle of Wight, both saw activists tearing down the fences to allow people to enter for free. But more effective as a medium of change than this was the organising of free concerts and festivals. In the UK, this ranged from free concerts in Hyde Park to full-on week-long festivals, the original Glastonbury being an example, the rent strike in the Queen's Backyard, Windsor Free Festival being another. The notion of free extended beyond the monetary price of entry to the expression of participants. In the US, San Francisco hippies The Grateful Dead started organising free concerts in San Francisco's Haight-Ashbury area, linking up with radicals who were providing free food, accommodation and healthcare. This developed into their own free festival circuit, developing an entire travelling culture of deadheads. Rock journalist Lillian Roxon once wrote The Grateful Dead performed more free concerts than any band in the history of music. In both these examples, the culture extended beyond that of fans to a full travelling lifestyle. 
While the politics of the free festival scene were not always entirely coherent, it led people out of traditional capitalist lifestyle and transformed them from passive consumers of a product to active participants in a subculture. A British free festival flyer from 1980 declared, Free festivals are practical demonstrations of what society could be like all the time. Miniature utopias of joy and communal awareness rising for a few days from a grey morass of mundane, inhibited, paranoid and repressive everyday existence. So this is The Grateful Dead, the band who apparently did more free concerts than any band in the history of music. First one say she got my child, but it don't look like it. 
That is Hawkwind there, one of the classic UK free festival bands um, that will be forever associated with that scene. Before that, we had The Grateful Dead with Friend of the Devil, um, who in the US organizing free festivals and changing the way that music was experienced We are talking about the medium as the message in protest music. And going on from the 70s free festivals, in the late 70s, punk emerged as another musical counterculture. The rough and raw sounds of the music energised people who felt mainstream 70s rock had gotten bloated and lost its radical edge. The simplicity of the music inspired many to form bands. Punk groups sprung up across the world like weeds after rain, disrupting the manicured lawn of the music industry. One of the iconic images is a page from Mark Perry's Sniff and Glue punk fanzine of three guitar chord shapes. Now form a band, it read. <laughs> 
This is a perfect example of the medium as the message. The simplicity of the music was an invitation for others to join. Zines like Sniff and Glue were a response, but they in turn manifested McLuhan's words. The fact that the music press was as simple as laying out pages by hand and putting them through a photocopier inspired others to write. Punk was a movement that instinctively believed in the medium as the message. Another way it did so was by using independent record labels. Historically, recording artists had relied on a company to get their music recorded on tape and pressed on vinyl. But as part of punk's emancipatory DIY message, punk bands in many cases did so independently, taking any profits out of the hands of big corporations and enabling them to release music regardless of the dictates of commercial record companies. The first in the UK to do so was Manchester band The Buzzcocks with their new Hormones label. Soon after, enough bands around the country were doing the same that independent record store Rough Trade set up a distribution network to help independent bands get their music into stores around the country. Anarchist band Crass not only put out their own music, but released records and compilations of other bands, allowing a small anarcho-punk scene to develop. Crass, like Sniff and Glue editor Mark Perry, were quite critical of bands like The Clash, who sang of radical politics, but did so backed by the coffers of major record labels. CBS promoted The Clash, they snarled, not for revolution, just for cash. Many independent bands thought of their records as an overt call for others to create their own, hence the fact that oddball punk poet Dan Tracy put the expenses chart for his debut single as television personalities on the sleeve of the record. That act was later repeated by Marxist intellectual popsters Scritti Politi on their debut single, Skank Block Bologna. Let's have a listen to a couple of those radical punk independent releases. This is Crass. <laughs> Yeah. 
Skirty Politi there with Skank Block Bologna, their debut uh, release and independently made. And I have here a little picture from the sleeve of that record and it does list the expenses of how to make a record recording 98 pounds and it gives a place where you can record mastering 40 pounds Pressing 369 pounds 36 with electro plating of lacquer being 27 pounds of that. The labels 8 pounds and distribution is free through Rough Trade Distribution Network. Um, Scrooge Politi, also television personalities on their first uh, release, did a similar expenses chart before that we had crass with punk is dead another band who set up an independent label and of course crass kind of crossing eras of political music penny rambo one of the uh, members of crass had been a hippie and had been involved in the uk free festival scene before uh, punk came about 
You are on the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ and we are talking about the medium as the message in protest music, bands through history who have thought in different ways that it's not just what you are singing about that makes your music political, but the medium by which you communicate carries as much weight in representing the kind of world you want to create. And these origins of punk were never forgotten as the style developed into an established subculture. Few styles of art have ever been quite as conscious of the role of the medium as the message. Not only did zines and independent labels continue to be a part of punk, many in the scene would reject the punk credentials of publications or music that weren't independently produced, regardless of what it sounded like. The band who most embody the independent ethic of punk are Fugazi. Their records were all released on their independent label Discord Records and always sold for a maximum of $10. Gigs around their hometown of Washington, D.C. would usually be fundraisers working with a group called Positive Force to take political music off the stage and into the everyday reality of activism and social causes. When they toured, which they did constantly, all their gigs were limited to a $5 door charge with a stipulation they had to be open to all ages and not just those over 18. In the press, they would do interviews with independent publications, but not those owned by large corporations. They stuck to these ideals even when offered huge financial advances from major record labels or large payments to be featured in Rolling Stone magazine. Even as the band's popularity increased, they continued to book the tours themselves and load their own gear. They even carried envelopes with $5 notes inside, ready to refund the tickets and kick out audience members who were violent in the crowd. Their vision of the medium as the message was wide-ranging. After writing a song in the perspective of a woman living in rape culture, Fugazi ultimately decided having a group of men on stage performing it sent its own message. So from then on, a woman was always invited on stage to sing this song, Suggestion.
no reward. I mean, you want to discover. That is Fugazi there featuring Amy Pickering on lead vocals in the live context with a song suggestion. Friends of Fugazi who also believed in the importance of women on stage were Bikini Kill. They were women who looked at punk and saw a subculture that preached freedom but in practice was dominated by men in prominent positions and macho rituals that shut out the, part- the participation of women. Bikini Kill called for revolution girl style now. Again, zines were a key medium, homemade literature enabling the lives and stories of women to finally be told. There were a number of zines linked with this new movement. In fact, the title of one, Riot Girl, gave the movement its name. They contained content that had rarely been included in mainstream culture before, like first-hand accounts of rape or eating disorders. 
But the fact of these bands and zines' existence carried its own message, that these stories could be told and no longer need be shut away like the housewives of old. Bikini Kill reshaped the way music was experienced live too. There were women on stage making a loud and aggressive racket that broke through traditional notions of feminine etiquette and in its joyful amateurishness confronted notions of musicianship that had made inexperienced women afraid to step on stage. But they also changed the experience of the audience. Like Fugazi, they would call out incidences of violence in their audience and eject those who perpetrated them. They turned this into a philosophy and practice of girls to the front, enabling women to experience the faces of the band without having to brave the macho, aggressive dancing that traditionally dominated that space. Is that supposed to be doing that? Okay, sorry. Okay, we're starting now. We're Bikini Kill, and we want revolution! Girls don't is Bikini Kill there with Double Dare, another band in the early 90s who were challenging traditional audience roles was industrial rap rock group Consolidated. 
Consolidated's music and lyrics wasn't especially nuanced, and to be honest, it hasn't dated all that well. But the one very notable thing about Consolidated is a practice they did to try to break down that performer-slash-audience dichotomy. They would pause their show to pass the mic around the crowd and ask people to discuss the issues they were singing about. Often these discussions would be recorded and clips from them included in their albums. Heavy music is full of bands that sing their political songs to an audience of uncaring hedonists. These consolidated recordings are an example of bringing to the surface that tension, as well as inviting different perspectives to be shared and for people to see political ideas as something you personally engage in rather than have shouted at you from the stage. So this is some clips from Consolidated. All right, here's my point, guys, all right? The fact that matters you stand up here on stage and you preach to everybody about anti-fascism in America's legacy over the last 40 years. Man, if you don't like it here, don't live here, you know. What you have to understand is there's always... So just... I mean, I tell you to go fuck yourself, but I'm not going to do that, so... Because I know there's always an alternate viewpoint. And the fact of the matter is you stand up here and preach, and you don't know what an alternate viewpoint is. And if you don't like fascism, don't play industrial music, because that's what it's all about, guys. Did you hear that? Wait that a second. That guy's the first bit on the wait next second, record. Wait a second. Wait. As long as it's making money It takes patience and courage to make a difference Theory into practice Move beyond the ignorance
Okay, I got a fucking question. Now y'all go out and say this, okay? Speak up. Tell me, tell me, why is it perfectly legal to have a white college fund when a united when we can't have a white college? I mean, what the fuck is it legal to have a united black college fund when we don't have no goddamn white one? Why is there a black Miss Beauty Pageant when there's not allowed to be a white beauty pageant? Answer this. People like you, my friend, listen up. People like you, my friend, and that attitude, I'm sorry to attribute to you because it's in all of us, have been responsible for the fact that white people in this country have always had what they need and black people do not. If you don't understand that, I suggest you like wake You guys won't shut up. And this poor man wants to dance. What's he this? wants to hear some music. We're in here for music. Play it. That is a couple of clips from Consolidated's live gigs there. You also heard uh, the song Praxis Bold as Love by Consolidated, um, a band who tried to break down the passive nature of the audience in a rock concert. It was musically quite different from traditional punk rock, but a similar spirit of DIY emboldened the beginnings of another musical movement. Electronic music from its beginnings played with the political message implicit in its medium, exploring how rapidly developing new technology affected human life. This took different forms, from the futurism of Kraftwerk's Autobahn to the alienation of Gary Newman's Our Friends Electric. Throbbing Gristle coined a new genre term in their attempts to represent the relationship between human and machine. In the documentary Synth Britannica, Cozy Fanny Tutti from the band said, We were trying to reflect the sounds around us. The studio was in an industrial area and we were trying to reflect all these sounds and how they came together. From this came both the name of their record label and their self-described style, Industrial Music for Industrial People. As it developed, though, electronic music began to not just represent the alienation of machines, but some of the utopian possibilities of new technology. From the nightclubs of Detroit and Manchester to the beaches of Goa, electronic music came to represent a communal ideal. In the UK, the old free festival scene inspired a culture of impromptu dance parties in rural locations. That often entirely hedonistic scene met with the political activism in a few ways. There were the times it intersected with the still-surviving old free festival culture. There was the fact the Conservative government literally made the dance parties illegal with the 1994 Criminal Justice Act, and the techno scene linking up with a developing campaign of direct action blockades stopping the construction of new highways. The specific medium of electronic music brought its own radical possibilities. The simplicity of making the music all on one synth in your home gave it new DIY potential. The ability to perform without lots of gear made unconventional music venues possible, repurposing space like rural fields and city streets. The anti-roads campaign led to an impromptu street parties called Reclaim the Streets. And the musical events themselves, with no live band or stage focusing the audience's attention, offered new opportunities for communal musical experience and active participation. In Do It Ourselves, the documentary about the links between electronic music and protest in Australia, pioneering trance DJ Ray Castle talks about parties he organised in the early 90s in Goa. He says, It wasn't geared around artists standing on stage like in the rock days. The focus was not up on the stage looking at personalities or artists on stage doing the show. The focus and the feeling was in the centre of the dance floor. We won't play some 
Ray Castle slash rant, uh, but we would have if we had time. But he might play a bit of Spiral Tribe from the UK uh, free dance party scene, which was made illegal in 1994 with the Criminal Justice Act. This is Breach the Peace. Instructions to the officers were to arrest the people. Police moved in around 8 o'clock last night. Instructions to the officers were to arrest the people to prevent a breach of the peace. Serious breach of the peace. having a party. moved in around 8 o'clock last night. Instructions to the officers were to arrest the people to prevent a breach of the peace. Serious breach of the peace. Sorry to back to the hardcore mother earth as this generation find awareness and worth in a planet being drained its natural resources. Now is the time to pick up the pieces to reconnect and blow faulty fuses. That is Spiral Tribe there with Breach the Peace, exploring the new possibilities inherent in the medium of electronic music. The ways bands can creatively use the medium of expression to make a political point are endless. The list I have given is just a few examples. There are plenty of others. Negative Land were critical of intellectual property laws. They could have written a song about it, but instead they made songs constructed entirely from samples of other songs and films. 
Russian political punks Pussy Riot took gigs out of concert halls. Like the musical equivalent of graffiti art, they chose to perform only in public places, at Parliament or infamously in a Russian Orthodox cathedral. The internet, meanwhile, has been a revolutionary development in media. And while it has unquestionably radically altered the way we experience music, not that many artists have creatively explored the new possibilities of internet communication to point to new forms of social relations. Some bands like Metallica famously resisted the internet's changing way of experiencing music. Others like Radiohead embraced it, in 2007 becoming the first high-profile band to release their music online for free with listeners asked to pay as they feel. In our society, music is experienced constantly and in many different ways. Many of these media reinforce the dynamics of the capitalist system, commodified with a price tag, featuring a hierarchy of performers, tastemakers and consumers. Even music with radical content can subtly and unconsciously speak for the status quo. In a time when more of life is mediated than ever, Radical art that takes on the idea of the medium as the message has the potential to contribute powerfully to that greatest of artworks, the creation of a better world. That is it for the paradigm shift for another week. Of course, the medium of community radio is a very, very valuable way of talking about another world that is possible to create. And so keep tuning in to 4ZZZ. I'll be back next week with more and we might go out with one final track from a band who thought the medium was the message um, from Russia, a band who decided that they would take music off the stages to uh, disrupt the status quo as they saw it, the totalitarian state that they saw Russia as. This is Pussy Riot with Punk Prayer. Oh, God, yeah.